Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. We're live. Damien Cummings, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Great to have you in the Asia Tech Podcast Studio. Damien Cummings, CEO, founder, co-founder, mm -hmm. PeopleWave. Great to have you here. Great. We're going to talk about, well, there's a lot of things we've got to talk about. How you got here in the first place uh -huh. and what you're doing with PeopleWave. Now, what is the problem that you're solving? You have an interesting background, to say the least. You, you didn't start. You didn't start off as an entrepreneur. Well, your first job was what? What were you doing straight out of the out of the gates? You were a corporate at, guy. No, kind of. Uh, I actually worked at the most corporate of corporates, uh, McKinsey and Company, the big oh, management consultancy firm. But yeah. my story of getting in is very different. So. All right, let's hear it. Well, I got in completely through nepotism. So oh, my okay. my uh, <laughs> my grandfather was a loading dock manager, and he right. was a security guard. Happen to know the um, the hiring manager who are looking for someone who wow. was the absolute bottom, the guy who was going to make the uh, tea, coffee, and deliver the mail. Yeah. So I got in, not even knowing what this company was about or what it was doing there, but obviously I'd start doing that job and I didn't enjoy it very much. So later I became the internal comms guy, mm. and later because I developed, uh, I guess, a bit of a um, knowledge and I was using the internet way back in 1993. Uh, I be, yeah, I became the internet guy. So right. the internet the guy internet in the whole guy. of McKinsey, probably. <laughs> well, I actually had the key to the internet, so <laughs> it was actually locked up in a room on uh, level twenty-five, and it was seen as something that would have impact productivity if people right. have access to it. So, so I was the in nineteen ninety-three, what were you doing for the the internet back then? The internet, there was not much to do yeah. then. It was really uh, the focus and why I got into it. I was very young. Um, IRC, Internet Relay Chat. Yeah. You know, basically mm. chatting to other people. Um, I was actually learning HTML at that time, building very crappy websites, uh, and that actually became my uh, next job after I left McKinsey. Right. So, so 25 years of internet experience, well, in theory. Say, yes, in theory, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because, uh, I mean, the reason why I ask is, you know, you've, you've had some very interesting um, experiences in, in, you know, at the highest level as well in marketing and yes. in communications. And you have this background in, well, I... I don't suppose you would call yourself a programmer, but you were technically minded earlier on. Would you, how do you sort of view yourself? Do you see, view yourself as a coder, a programmer, a builder, or a marketing guy? Do you have, often think about that? Yeah, certainly not a tech guy. I mean, I understand tech, and I think most good CEOs or kind of company founders mm. should. Uh, you know, I, I guess my first foray into that kind of world was I was actually created a couple of games when I was 13 on Amstrad on tape. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was The Amstrad cool. CPC yeah. 486 or something, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah, these were kind was of that the long one? Yeah, of course. And I, I had integrated one Green. Tape. Yeah, <laughs> green. <laughs> the green screen tech. It was way ahead of its time. But, right. uh, you know, that was, um, uh, it got me interested and passionate when I was like, a teenager right. and a kid. So you were programming in basic back then? Oh, I don't even know what it was right. back then. But um, I copied a lot of stuff and I didn't know what I was doing. So that's basically where I'm now, you know, 20 yeah. plus years later. I still have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> but uh, that's why I'm the business guy and not the tech guy. Right, but do you, do you think that experience, because I started programming as a kid, but yeah. basic, like yourself, Amstrad, you know, those days, even before that maybe, the ZX Spectrum and so on. Yeah. But, you know, does that sort of give you uh, an attitude towards building a business? Because I think if you sort of code and you learn to build things from mm. the ground up, it's a very different approach than... You know, for example, you worked at McKinsey, you come very much the opposite approach yeah. to business, isn't it? They often go in at the very top level, the C level, yes. and they advise strategically. Whereas, you know, you have this sort of background in building the nuts and bolts of business. Yeah. You know, how, how does it work now in people, Wave? Do you find yourself doing everything in the business? Or? Well, no, we have a great team to help us do things. But, uh, but I guess to answer that question, actually being hands-on, being a techie, it makes you kind of want to pull things apart and put them back together. Right. I guess that's uh, what I was getting yeah. to. 
And why I've had a very successful corporate career is I think while I can't do that myself, I understand it and I can actually explain it simply. Mm. And that's what I regard myself as more of a digital guy. So it was became uh, internet, then digital, digital marketing, e-commerce, all that kind of stuff. And then explaining to senior management and other people in the business why you should get into e-commerce, how it works, you know, why you should do things like internet marketing or digital marketing instead of you know, traditional advertising, why you should consider using these new technologies to engage customers and work with employees better. And that's actually what I've found is probably the, one of the most beneficial skills in life in any role. How do you explain a complex or a new idea simply to other right. people? And that right. allows you to rise the corporate ladder reasonably quickly. Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about that. Before we talk about people, Wade, sure, your sure. background in the corporate ladder, I'm going to read out the names. Okay. Samsung, <laughs> Dell, Ogilvy & Mather, yeah. Citibank, Coca-Cola, NRMA, McKinsey & Co. Mm -hmm. Standard Chartered Bank as well, Philips. The list goes on. I mean, th this is like the, the blue chip lineup of corporates, you know. Any parent would be proud of their kid going into work in these companies, right? And I find that interesting because you've had that experience and how many years were you in corporate? 20, 25 years 25 from 93, years. right? Okay, so at some point you then decided, I'm going to start my own business. Yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, I had a great set of roles. So I came up as a general manager of Ogilvy, the advertising agency. I went to Dell running their e-commerce business for the region and doing a lot of their marketing. Then I went to Samsung and had a regional marketing director title. I became the chief marketing officer at Philips before my last job at Standard Chartered Bank, where I was the global head of digital. And um, what happened is that uh, I got retrenched. I got laid off. Mm. Uh, in a, yeah, I don't know if you've been, ever been laid off before, but it's a really traumatizing experience. Right, especially uh, when you, you've got, you know, you're not like a, a kid who's just sort of started in the, the working world. You've got years of experience and exactly. mortgages you've, to pay and so on. Yeah, and part of it, yeah, you've got people that uh, love you, that care about you, who you need to take care of. On the other side, it's nothing to do with how good you performed. This mm. is just a blanket cutting of people because, you know, big companies need to cut costs. So what I realized is I had an opportunity. So uh, with a small redundancy payout, I could have actually gone and getting another big job somewhere else. Um, but frankly, I didn't want to go into financial services. Tech was good, but again, it's hard to get those big jobs. What I really wanted to do was kind of make work a bit fairer, uh, learn, uh, take what I knew in digital and digital mm. transformation and apply that to what I was really passionate about at that time. And still, you know, how do you make work fair and put people first? I mean. Big companies are earning billions and billions of dollars, but as soon as they're, they're missing a quarter, slash people, mm. uh, you've got to. Why is that not fair? It's not well. <laughs> I'm asking a stupid question, but yeah. I, I, you know, you obviously know the answer to it, so I want to hear it. Well, th there are many parts of this equation. I mean, start with the employees. Seventy percent of employees are unhappy. Uh, mm. That's a global Gallup survey data, and we know that eighty percent of that unhappiness comes from a direct manager. So many managers have never been trained. You, they have no skills on how to manage people. You don't go to you know, Harvard or do an MBA and get taught how to have social skills or people management skills. You're just supposed to pick it up. So what happens is a series of unfair decisions start to creep in. Uh, you do your annual performance appraisal. You, mm. Your boss tells you whether you did a good or a bad job. That's more based on likability. You know, do I like you or not? rather than actually whether you did do a good job. Right. And sometimes it doesn't matter how much revenue you're bringing in or costs you're saving or whatever you're doing for a big company. Uh, they don't look at you as an individual. They look at the department. They look at the, 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 the country and slash, right. slash and burn. And uh, that's a, there's a lot of unfairness because a lack of training, a lack of tools, and maybe a lack of caring. Mm. I, I want to just dive into that data that you shared here. Because sure. I, I saw that Gallup poll. That was a few years back. The 80% 
unhappy or 70% are unhappy. Yeah. 70% are unhappy, 80% as a result of a direct manager. So Correct. if you do the math, it's about 50, 60% are unhappy because of their managers. Yeah, that's right. right. So that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. But you know, your, your background in the corporate world is very successful. So, you know, you navigated that very well. Like you said, you knew what to do and how to play that game successfully mm. for 20 plus years. So why would you then want to go and change that? Mm. Well, because every, look, you can look at my CV. I've jumped a lot as well because I get to a certain point where I can't continue. Mm. Uh, I know there are so many unfair practices there and I didn't develop all the political skills needed to get to the top. And, you know, we spent a lot of time at PeopleWay researching it. We looked at things like, what what are the kind of what are the key factors that uh, allow you to thrive in a company mm. realize that uh, getting a promotion for example it's completely dependent on your political acumen how much you manage up and i think almost everyone's got a story of you know a complete douchebag who's got that uh, promotion never actually done did their job well uh, don't yeah. have the right skills but again great political acumen and that doesn't feel right and you're getting a lot of kind of people with dubious character hitting the yeah. very top of corporates and I didn't quite hit the top of corporate, then I didn't want to go down that route. I would rather have a bit more integrity and try to fix it for everybody. And then if you look at it, um, the other part of it is actual, actual performance. And what you find is that people who perform extremely well, uh, they're generally forced to stay in that position until they burn out. Yeah. Then they're replaced by somebody else who equally works hard and works those 20 hour days and seven days a week. Uh, Nobody is incentivized to keep those people on. Nobody's incentivized to really care about them or they're treated a bit like a factory, come in, work hard, get out. Uh, so between those two extremes where one, it's all about up upward management and political acumen. On the other hand, it's about uh, working hard and not getting rewarded for it. There's got to be a fairness in the middle somewhere. Mm. And that's what we're trying to do, which is, you know, it's not, uh, we're not going to discourage people who've got great political or relationship skills. That's good. That need to be brought to the surface and measured and, and be more transparent. Similarly, people who are hard workers, they're often overlooked. So how do you kind of give them the right kind of mechanism to showcase what they've done, to learn new skills, to develop? Hmm. And it's really kind of bringing those two things together and making work a little different. Okay, so let's yeah. hear it. So we've established <laughs> what the problem is. Yes. People wave, how do they fix this? Well, we started off um, back in January, 2017, and I honestly didn't know how to fix it. Uh, I thought the solution was in the recruitment space and I was really motivated because that's another big story as well. Uh, if anyone's applied for a job recently, you know how dehumanizing that is. I haven't, tell me. <laughs> so I've worked for myself for the last 20 years. So okay. what am I gonna go for? So help me empathize with your Got it. pain. Okay. Well, maybe someone in the audience has gone for a job recently. <laughs> so if you have, you'd notice that uh, you might apply for, you know, literally hundreds of jobs. Yeah. You're sending your CV in and what normally happens is you never hear anything back. Uh, for most people, it's it's the same kind of uh, level as uh, losing someone in the family or going through something as stressful as a wedding. Mm. You know, it's a big, big thing. It's a, it's a life-changing event, getting a new job, changing jobs. But it seems like the whole process around treating candidates is extremely poor. You never get a call back. You don't know where you are in the process. Uh, often people are asking you to do presentations or tests or psychometric evaluations or whatever it is. And basically, the poor candidate's putting all this time, effort and putting and fitting everything on hope and mm. then not getting anything back yeah and that that that's really frustrating just the, the lack of communication the lack of respect that's even at your level every level so every level. you know with respect you have a lot more experience than the average candidate looking mm. so you would have thought they treated you with a bit more respect 
Well, no. I think, no. no that is a bit de- inhuman. <laughs> I think it is, yes. Yeah. That's my belief. So uh, that, that's where we wanted to start. We thought, okay, well, what could we do in the recruitment space? Then I quickly realized well, we have to do a lot of other things before we got there. Mm. What we wanted to do is actually look at every aspect of people management and human resources and try to fix it. So um, people, we've, we've launched a couple of different tools. We realized that um, getting a job is one critical part, but onboarding is the next. You're coming into that new company, having those expectations set of you and so on. Then after that, it's really about uh, the management. So how well are you doing, putting in place development plans, engaging with your teams, customers, uh, and manager, and so on. Mm. Then there's a part where it's about leaving a company and so on. So we realize we're eventually going to fix all of those problems, but we've started off with a couple of areas. Number one, we have a tool called the First 100 Days, which is an onboarding tool. We realized, again, throwing another couple of stats out there, did you know that 30% of people are looking for a new job in six months? Just Within joined. six months of starting. Yeah, they've just joined and are looking for a new job. Uh, well, given what you've just said about what they'll go through, it's pretty stressful. It is. Why are they then going looking for something else? It must be pretty shitty if they have to then go and... Well, it's those two kind of facts combined. Right. Number one, in the recruitment process, I mean, yeah. often people will exaggerate how good the company is. Maybe you don't really have time uh, to spend with the hiring manager. Uh, maybe they promised you something and you got something else on day one. The second part of it is often uh, new people coming into a new job are thrown in the deep end, you know, and it's sink or swim. So there's no expectation set of you. You don't know what to do. You're given some basic training and you say, go for it. Again, that's not the right, right way of running modern yeah. business. And particularly, you know, you're seeing the younger generation come through. They've got more expectation of ongoing feedback. They want to be coached and they want to be, you know, a clear expectation set of what they sh- should and should not do. And big companies just don't do that. So. That's where we found our first 100 days tools solves a bunch of problems. Mm. Sets expectations of what you should do, tells you who you need to meet, um, give you a checklist of items that need to be done, just the basic stuff. And also you're getting uh, three uh, performance evaluations in month one, two, and three, which give you a strong sense of how well you're doing, how strong are my relationships, uh, how good are my hard and soft skills, am I seeing as someone who's actually a good fit for this role. Mm. And that data is transparently shared both ways. So the person who's a new hire coming in, so Here's how I'm doing. And the manager and the HR teams have a clear view of what you're doing as well. Right. So it sounds like what you're doing is putting process in where there isn't any process in or isn't the right process in these large organizations. It's not like you're doing anything fundamentally different. It's you're just giving them the tools to do it properly. Well, the first part is really the fundamentally different part is measuring stuff. Mm. Do they not do that now? Nobody measures anything. Really? Yeah. I mean, I haven't worked in a, I haven't worked for an employee for 20 years, so. Employer, sorry. Sure. So I don't know what it's like. I mean, well, okay. tell me. Well, let's even talk about where we are with ATP. So, for example, could you tell me right now, and you, you, this is a loaded question. But yeah, go and ambush me. Who, who's your <laughs> best employee? Yeah. Who's your worst? Yeah. Why? Uh, if it's a larger organization, who are your best performing teams? Mm. Who are your worst? How likely is someone to leave your company and why? Yeah. Those basic questions nobody can answer today so how, how do they answer those today do they is it i mean they have this sort of peer review and they have managers appraisals is that sort of industry standard uh not really up to about 40 percent of large companies don't have a, a formal hr software or a process around yeah. this so many people are not doing it almost all small companies smes are just not doing it at all either what happens in the larger companies is they have like an annual performance review process you're given a series of goals at the beginning of the year. Mm. By the end of the year, you've got to meet those goals, and that dictates whether you've done a good or bad job. What you then done, then what happens is you're given a rating. You know, you might be a one, two, three, four, or five. 
And that usually determines where you sit in the company, whether you're going to get a pay rise, a promotion or something else. Mm. And that's it. So basically, you're going to get to annual performance appraisal, maybe with a six months touch point, just, you know, your boss probably doesn't care about that process very yeah. much, doesn't have a lot of time to do it well. And again, it comes down to how much I like you. So we've got six people in my team. Of course, you're going to have a favorite and five other people are going to be kind of somewhat Right. Yeah. That goes back to the playing the political game as it well. Is. So yeah. those who are good at it, not necessarily, maybe they're good at getting the best score on the KPI yeah. rather than the best for the business. Right? Exactly. And, and to, get, to answer your point earlier, you know, why this is different and why it potentially could be disruptive is because it's starting to measure things. And when you measure things, mm. you can start to change them. And the first part of this is really just getting a sense of, you know, onboarding into a company. How well are you doing? How well is the manager doing? How well is the team around you doing? And whether other products were doing the same kind of thing, we're looking at month to month or quarter to quarter um, feedback on your performance across mm. relationship skills and also your delivery. And uh, having that information available is gonna do a couple of really interesting things. First of all, it calls out not just your own individual performance, but it starts to call out bad managers. It starts to call out you know, processes that are wrong. Mm. It starts to open up those questions around you know, uh, that any organization should be able to answer but can't do that today. And then it also opens up, I guess, another thing that we're doing in the future. Um, it, having employee data out there and owning that yourself, we can do different things with it. You can start to use it for things like recruitment or background screening and so on, which is some of the products that we're building at the moment. Right, okay. We'll delve in that, sure. into that in a minute. You're talking about using the data to call out bad management and as well, good management, I suppose, course, as well. Yeah. You're going to catch somebody doing something right yeah. and all that. Um, tell me... My understanding is, is the nearest that we have, I mean, things like Six Sigma and those kind of training schemes, they, they try to quantify it in a certain amount of way, but that's quite old now. I don't know how sort of well used that is. You look at GE, they're sort yeah. of champions of that, Jack Welch and so on. I mean, how does that sort of compare? Because they're trying to quantify and measure performance in areas which aren't measurable in many ways, apart from your obvious KPI. Yeah. Maybe there's other factors. Where, where are we with that? Does that sort of fall short of what you're trying to achieve here? Well, if you think of things like uh, Six Sigma, that's more of a process improvement methodology. It's not really about understanding individual employees' performance. And an outcome of a process like that would be it's still about goal setting. Yeah. So you've still got to set a goal and you've set a time period over, say, a year where you've got to achieve that goal. What it doesn't do is actually give you proper guidance on how to set that goal, proper guidance on how to measure the performance what you really do is set it in January and December and see have you hit it or not. Yeah. And then you've got some almost made up metrics about how well you performed. So I think the basics that things like Sigma give you, it's great to you know iron out um, loose processes or fix kind of inefficiencies, but it doesn't have a lot to do with individual performance. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, so you've talked about the first 100 days. You talked about PeopleWave. How many products do you have at the moment? Oh, well, First 100 Days is the first tool, yeah. and we're selling that at the moment. Uh, we have another tool which we've just moved to free. Uh, it's a free freemium model. That's called Performance Wave. So mm -hmm. uh, we're building that now as the world's best performance review tool or a 360 feedback tool. And we you know, go to our website at peepwave.co, sign up for it, play with it. It's yours. So the good thing about that is that's the second tool, and we're now we're building out a couple more, uh, mainly blockchain-centric tools. Mm. One is called Wavebase, which is a... Um, a recruitment solution. Um, then we're also doing wave ba uh, rec background uh, wave and oh, 
terrible naming, I think, uh, background wave and recruit wave off the back of Wavebase. Right. So what we're doing is taking all the data we collect out of yeah. these other tools and then we're moving it to the blockchain and using it for recruitment and background screening. Right, using it for recruitment and background screening yes. for the company or can the employee also benefit from that? Because I would have thought if you're talking blockchain, you're trying to democratize that data in certain aspects. Correct. Right? So, you know, the funny thing is if you ask anyone about doing a performance review, small or large company, uh, no one ever takes their data with them. So maybe I was an amazing performer in my last job. Right. And maybe in this job, I'm an okay performer, but there's actually no record of that. Uh, so our goal here is to actually take ownership of this data and give it to the employees. So it doesn't matter which department you're in, who your manager is, or how many companies you've worked at, you will have an ongoing record of your performance. And that's uh, basic employee information, mm. like your name, job title, are you a manager, how many people you do manage, but it's also more performance-centric data about your relationship, skills, delivery, and you'll get a percentage score out of 100. So what we do is actually move that to a blockchain solution, uh, give employees complete control over it. They can massage their story as they need to. So mm. upweight some things, downweight some things, and choose who sees it or doesn't see it. And what we're doing out of that is it actually does a very interesting thing to recruitment. Uh, again, I'll, going stereotypical, we position what we're doing with that recruitment solution as we're a bit like the Google of recruitment. Mm -hmm. Simple search mechanism. So, you know, a search bar, for example. And what you type in is criteria that you need in the next employee. So if you're looking for, a, say, a videographer for the show here, you might say, okay, I'm looking for a videographer. He's got five years of experience. He's been a people manager, managed three or more people, and been rated uh, 85 and above by former managers. Now, right now, if you're looking for that person today, mm. you're going to put a job out out there, hope for the best. You're going to get a lot of crappy candidates coming in. You don't have time yeah, to yeah, engage yeah. those guys, etc. So what what will happen with our tool is you're searching actual performance information. Mm. So then you'll get a stack rank of the best candidate through to the 100th candidate, and you can choose whether you want to meet them or not. So it actually benefits both employees because they own their data. They can use it to get a better job mm. or use it to actually take to another company for performance evaluations or can use it for background screening as a criteria to get a new job. And for companies, it, it revolutionizes the whole performance, uh, the recruitment process. Yeah. It means that you're not searching for, you know, a needle in the haystack for the best candidate. You're basically searching actual performance data and you're finding the best people for the job. Does that mean then that the companies will collaborate to standardize that data in some way? Because that would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. It, it, what you say is this metric is different to what we say is this metric. But if we sort of communicate and work together. Yeah. Well, that's our job. And that's what right. we really want to do. And so there's actually four ways to get data into the platform. And uh, our job is to provide a global standard for that. So one... We can take a direct um, download effectively from our software into our wave-based blockchain solution. Number two, we're working with a number of other HR companies um, to equalize the data in apples to apples kind of way. Number three, we actually have an ability to do a kind of automatic verification, like a manual verification. So if you uh, don't have a performance way, a review software tool, you can actually go and verify it with your former manager and company, and then you can kind of upload mm. your own data yourself. And finally, what we're looking for is um, big companies that have already got the scale. Yeah, you know, think about LinkedIn, think about Facebook, think about uh, people like Salesforce or Oracle. They have very, very large databases with a set of standardized data in there. We can actually get that on the platform, great. And what will also happen is that uh, we will start to go out to uh, institutions. Uh, think about universities, for example. You know, they've already standardized what mm -hmm. a degree looks like and what an tr academic transcript is. If we're going to have performance data as the core part of what we're doing on this wave, uh, blockchain solution, bring in things like um, culture fit, 
um, university transcripts and other, then you bring in other third party yeah. stuff like LinkedIn information and so on. It becomes a very robust profile for somebody. You could train these organizations to interface with what you have so they could then be of benefit to the employers down the line, right? Because well, they yeah, don't know themselves, they don't know. do they? They don't. And again, they could pick and choose. So that's the beauty of this as well. Yeah. We will standardize data across as many platform, uh, many formats as possible and we'll make it available to companies if they want to pay for it. And uh, they can take the bits that they need or they can take the entire, uh, all the data from the blockchain if, if, if required. Um, but yeah, we'll spend a lot of time educating them and showing them how to do it right. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Okay, let's talk about the company itself. Sure. Um, by the way, Standard Chart, have they bought your product yet? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no comment. We are talking to a lot of financial services companies, but uh, Standard Chartered is not yet a customer. So there's work to do. Yeah, there's work to do. All right. Um, how many people in your company at the moment, Damien? Uh, 21 people. Mm -hmm. So we're at 21 people across four countries. So we've got a tech hub in Davao in the Philippines, uh, HQ here in Singapore, and we've got a sales leader down in Australia, and uh, we've got our CTO in Hong Kong. Right. Okay. How is that managing across all these countries and time zones? For you? For me, quite simple because I've been doing it all my career. So mm. uh, when you get process employed, and maybe this is a little bit uh, different to most startups, we're a very process-driven company. Uh, you have uh, things like uh, online meetings. They're set up for uh, Monday one-on-ones. Mm. Uh, you have um, team meetings every two weeks. Uh, we have other get-togethers that are kind of make it, you know, even a virtual organization, quite close. Uh, but having that process, you know, sharing stuff like sales data on Zoom, uh, co constant conversations on things like Slack, it just kind of you know makes the distance a little bit shorter. Yeah, and yeah. how was it for you coming from the corporate world where you know let's say you had a laptop and it broke, then the guy would come running up from the IT department and fix it. Now you're doing it all yourself, mm -hmm. and all these processes you're going to have to build yourself effectively or architect them, and somebody's going to in your team going to build them. Yeah, you don't have a whole department for that now. No, how, how has that been for you? as a journey. Oh, I find it very liberating, to be honest. Yeah. I'd much rather have a broken laptop and fix it in a couple of hours rather than have to wait you know, six weeks for <laughs> the corporate IT department to give me a, a crappy one in the meantime and come back with a new battery that fails a day later. So um, for enjoying me, it's, it. Uh, enjoying it, yeah. So the upsides of actually being an entrepreneur in a startup are the freedom, uh, the ability to grow something and get people uh, to a purpose-driven company, which yeah. I find great. Um, the downside are obviously money's always tight for any startup, mm -hmm. so that's a challenge. And it's the uh, hustle. It's the hustle, yeah. And uh, you know, it's it's uh, it can be difficult going from when you've got a big brand backing you up into yeah. a company that few people have heard of. So there's a little hu bit of humility that kind of creeps yeah, back. Into yeah, the I think we all kind of need it once in a while, especially when you've had a long career. You yeah. kind of got to you know bring yourself back into the real world as well. Yeah. How is it when you wake up in the morning and you realize that you're running your own business like, <laughs> after 25 years of like everything being looked after? Well, I spent a lot of time thinking about this before I took the plunge. And I think for me, I'm a big believer in purpose-driven organizations. So I've worked at big companies, but they don't give back. They don't have a meaning. They don't have a purpose. So I think about, you know, I've worked at a bank and their kind of stated mission was to be the biggest, be the best. Yeah. That doesn't inspire but me. But they have mission statements like we want to em enrich lives and empower whatever. I mean, they do have, I mean, Enron, I think, had yeah. one which is quite famous. But Yeah, it's all kind of wanky, right? It doesn't actually mean anything. So, <laughs> tell it as yeah. it is. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to tell it as transparency, right? But uh, so for us, look, uh, we want to make work fair and we want to put people first. And uh, yeah. that's not a marketing strap line. That's what motivates me to get up. 
you know, money will be tight. We've missed out on a customer. Something went wrong in the tech. Uh, there's a people problem somewhere. Uh, other issues pop up. I'll wake up tired, but I think, okay, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. There's a greater purpose here. And everyone who works at the company and has gone through the ups and downs with us also believes in that purpose. Mm. And that's that's the reason we do it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You've got to have something to wake up for, haven't you? Yeah. And that's what it's about. And you are currently fundraising at the moment? We are, yes. So what's the situation? How have you funded it up until now? Yeah, so uh, it's a combination of, uh, we've got a series uh, seed round uh, last year. So mm. we've got just over 700,000 USD that's come in. Uh, it's got us through our first year and a half. Mm-hmm. And now we, we we launched a couple of months ago an ICO. Uh, that was has been an interesting and disappointing experience. Yeah, tell us about that because it's the 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 buzzword of the moment, isn't it? Yeah. The ICO. And uh, what's it actually like? Uh, it's terrible, uh, <laughs> filled okay. with scammers and so on. And I think there's a yeah. high degree of skepticism in the market around it because about eighty yeah. percent of these uh, ICOs are scam. But um, and a lot of them are business plan ICOs only, so they're not real right. businesses with real products and so on. So we thought we'd differentiate ourselves there. But every day you get someone else, you know, pretending to be somebody else, trying to you know sell you marketing services and a lot of cowboys and sharks out there. Mm-hmm. So why did you go into the ICO? Did you just think it was an easier way to raise funds? Because you, you've done the seed round, yeah. And I guess you know for the levels you're probably trying to raise at the next round, you probably thought. And a, oh, maybe I need to go to Series A or a VC at this stage, but an ICO would be a lot easier without less, you know, sort of constraints as well. Well, really, the two options are seed round raise, then it's either Series A or something else. So uh, what we did is uh, earlier this year we went to actually spoke to a few people up at Series A and then told us to go away, come back in a year or two. Mm. Well, actually, come back in two to three years. When when you had uh, when it's a safe bet for them oh, when right. there's two, okay yeah two million dollars in revenue coming yeah. in great run <laughs> rates and you know at that point we'll take give you two million and take half your business yeah right so well at that point no I deal. Don't, don't need that uh, what we are is uh, we're still very tight on revenue you know virtually nothing coming in mm. yet but we do have four hundred customers using mm. our platform and it's growing fast every day. So um, we decided, well, ICO is actually good for founders. It's good for the company in that uh, we control the terms and we control how the, mm. uh, the capital comes in. Um, but what we actually changed our mind is, look, there are too many cowboys in that space, so we've pulled back to a hybrid model. And what we're really looking for is a Series A plus ICO investment. Mm. So what we're looking for is someone who had put in, well, originally the ICO hard cap was $20 million. We've revised that and said, okay, well, if we're looking at Series A, that's really uh, 5 to 10 and what we'd say is, okay, well, we have tokens, these PWV tokens, which are quite valuable at the moment. Uh, we would actually do a double hybrid investment where someone's coming in, taking equity, uh, taking some tokens. And what would happen is we're looking for someone to, to partner us to the next level. Yeah, We yeah. don't want to just dumb money coming in. We want someone to actually, who sees the potential and who can help us grow. Yeah, because I wondered, because obviously an ICO can bring you a lot of dumb money, Yeah, but you're looking for something a bit more than that, the partnership. I mean... You're out there talking at the moment, but you know this podcast goes out there for eternity. So you know, I guess you let's put the call out there. What is that person, or what kind of organization is it, or investor that you want to partner with? What kind of doors do you want them to open for you? What kind of knowledge do you want them to bring in? What are you looking for? Well, it's going to be here forever, so let me try to make a big call. Yeah. Uh, what, what we're looking <laughs> for, for is a four to five year acquisition. Hmm. So that for us is uh, getting to a billion dollar plus valuation and selling ourselves either to one of the big um, uh, tech companies like an Oracle or a Salesforce. And we think about it in those terms because where else are they going to go? Hmm. They've conquered sales, they're doing marketing, now they're doing things like service. The next big, um, I guess, opportunity for them is going to be employee data. 
Or we look at the the logical guys, the big digital companies, you know, LinkedIn or Facebook and those guys are, need to kind of do what we're doing. So LinkedIn is struggling for growth. They need yeah. to move into new areas. And Facebook really wants to get in with their workplace solution, at least, really needs to get into jobs and hiring and, and, and people management. Um, so what we're looking for is, first of all, a VC that can help us go from Series A and eventually give us the introductions into a Series B or more. Mm. We're also looking for someone who's actually has a portfolio or can introduce us to those people because we want our software with as many people as possible. Or ideally, we'd actually work with one of those tech companies who actually are ha willing to partner with us over the next few years and uh, potentially have a buyout uh, at the end of that process. Yeah, because I, I, if you look at someone like LinkedIn, you know, or even Salesforce, yeah. yours is really a product they can just slot into their matrix, isn't it? It's, it's, it's straight to the bottom line in terms of the revenues for them. Exactly. It just should be pure profit for those guys. Yeah. yeah. So and we won't be an expensive acquisition for them necessarily. Mm. Uh, once we get to a decent level of scale or at least have the Lego pieces of the technology there. And I think one of our value adds is that, look, we can do some cool stuff on uh, cloud-based software and blockchain where, you know, if I was a traditional software vendor like an SAP or an Oracle, they can't easily do that. Mm. So we become a logical acquisition for them just as a bolt-on and, and a profit builder. Okay. Yeah. So there's 21 in your team, as you said. Yes. How does it go from here? Are you recruiting at the moment? Uh, yes. So it all depends on where we go with our fundraising mm. and our, our Series A slash ICO. Um, but as soon as we do that, the plan is by within a year to get to 100 people. Uh, yeah. We're looking for a big product team here in Singapore, uh, more salespeople around the world, uh, beefing up our Philippines tech hub. Uh, we're looking to open up across the rest of Asia. Uh, the big markets for us are Japan, China, Korea, and Indonesia. And then, of course, we've got to get to the USA. Now, in the HR tech space, 50% uh, of the global markets in the US, we've got to get over there pretty quickly. Yeah, for yeah. mind, I mean, especially if you're talking about people like LinkedIn yeah. and Salesforce, that's their home. And obviously, we have people watch this show, and they could be partners, they could be you know potential team members, and so on. And often they reach out and say, you know, okay, that story I heard from Damien, that just really touched me. That's the company that I want to kind of help build. I don't think you have any shortage of appealing to them in terms of the company itself, mm. but the culture of the company. Have you mentioned already, for example, your distributed company? To make sure that you get the right people coming through to you, mm. what is it that you want to see from them in terms of the match between their sort of mindset and your company culture? What are you looking, what can you put out there to help them understand and interface with what you're trying to do here? Sure, I think the primary thing is also coming back to, you know, the purpose, you know, we want people who have gone through hardship. Mm. We want people who've had a, uh, been bullied by their manager, had a bad relationship with a manager. We want people who've been retrenched or laid off or had difficult getting a job. We want people who understand those issues firsthand. Right. And uh, we, we've actually, we've got a great and amazing team, the best people I've ever worked with. And those people have all gone through their own levels of trauma somehow, and they've got a story they can share. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're a developer or a salesperson or sitting in the marketing team, they can all kind of go back to that story and go, yeah, okay, well, I now, they also fundamentally empathize with where we go as a, as a business. Mm. So like most people, I believe that skills can be trained. Uh, you're looking for a base level of competence, but you know, skills can always be trained. It's someone who's flexible, uh, believes in the purpose, and gets excited about what we're trying to do. Yeah. And what we can offer in return is that um, we are moving to a new office. We're 
figuring that out over the next month. But um, we offer things like unlimited leave, unlimited flexibility. So it means take as much time off as you need to. That's not necessarily, you know, 11 months out of 12. But how does that work? Peer approval. Right. So uh, you're, you've got to be working on things. Your peers have to approve your leave taking off. But it's more like, okay, well, maybe a family member's sick. Right, okay. You need to fly back home. No doubt. Just go do it. Right. Uh, you need to have um, a maternity or paternity leave. Go, you know. It, it's taken care of. Your monthly salary covers everything you need. Uh, fl- flexibility as well. Uh, we allow people to work from home, work from an office, work wherever they need to. Mm. If you need to go on a holiday and work a, a few days over there, go for it. The belief is if you communicate well and set the right expectations, we trust you. Uh, that trust is there to be you know, uh, taken or abused. Uh, if you abuse it, you'll leave yeah. the company. If, yeah. you know, if you, uh, Self-selecting, rules, isn't it? It is. Wow. I'm really curious to see how that goes because I'm always curious about building company culture. Yeah. And there's been a lot of experiments out there as well. But what you're trying to do, especially given your background, I find that fascinating. Because yeah. could you imagine going into any of those blue chip companies and they're great companies that you work for and, and coming out and saying, right, unlimited leave. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they, they don't even know where to put that in the, the, the schema that they have. You know, where does that fit in the the grand scheme of like HR. Well, you, you know, there's always kind of two types of, uh, I guess, two extremes. I mean, you've got the traditional companies, the big banks, the pharmaceuticals, and some of the tech companies out there that are very structured and rigid and so on. Yeah. Now, I can talk about a Korean company I worked at that attendance was taken every morning, and if you weren't I there, worked at Japanese companies, so yeah, yes, welcome you, to my world. Yeah. <laughs> so Korean and Japanese companies are amazing, yeah. high productive, and so on, but, you know, you have to be in the office by a certain time. Yeah. Your lunch your lunch is at a set period, and you, need, you can't have meetings outside. It's got to be held at that particular office. So you know, there's a lot of control that those companies try to um, enforce. And then on the other hand, you've got the companies like the Facebooks and the Googles of the world mm. or the LinkedIn. So free food, flexibility, mass up, whatever they have. You know, it's like, But I think the new um, breed of startups coming in will take the best of both. Yeah. The processes from those more traditional companies, the flexibility and the, um, I guess, the caring of people like Google. And that's what we're trying to aim for. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. I, I love what you said, Damien, about you, when I asked you about what kind of people do you want, and you, sp- you specifically mentioned those that have experienced hardship, mm. I find that fascinating. It's, it's you know, it's, I suppose it's quite brave as well to put yourself out there and say you're looking for that, rather than trying to you know brush over the whole issue and make it you know talk just about the positives. Because yeah. I think you know a lot of entrepreneurs and people who work in startups do have people to prove wrong, and yeah. that that is an energy in itself. I think so. Yeah. You know, and with your own history as well, and I think about myself with the businesses here. You know, I've got a few mofos to prove wrong, <laughs> getting this business right, but that motivates me because sometimes the days when I'm not motivated purely by the mission, sometimes it's that I wouldn't say it's an anger, but it's an energy yeah. which you've got to use, otherwise it will eat you up. And I think there are a lot of people out there, and maybe it's disenchantment to some extent. You know, and especially people who are talented, who have gone through the corporate machine and they've they've obviously given it a bit of a honeymoon period, but after that they've realized, you know what, this ain't working out and I'm getting frustrated. And, you know, maybe the, the less talented ones don't move on, but those who really have something to do, you know, mm. to do the 10X projects, they're looking around thinking, this just ain't working. Yeah, you're exactly right. If you want to, you know, s- stability, security, and lots of money, go work at a big corporate. Yeah. If you're going to work at, uh, if you want to work to change the world, you've got to do it at a smaller startup, something like PeopleWave, right? And you, there's trade-offs. So that's that's why we look for those people who have gone through that hardship or, you know, they, they feel it in their bones. They want to make things better. They want to make work fair. 
And that's why we believe in it so much. And I completely agree with you. That energy inspires you, gets you through difficult times and makes you overlook that things that things that might be spotty or yeah. maybe don't have all the processes or the right equipment in place, you know, but they believe in the vision. They know we're going to get there in a few years. Awesome. Yeah. Damien Cummings, everybody, CEO, founder of People Wave. Damien, thanks so much for coming onto the show today and sharing your journey with us. And for those that are watching and listening, they may be potential investors, potential partners, potential inquirers, maybe mm. long down, down the road. Um, they may be people who want to work for your company or just people who have something that may be of use partnering and, and know you're expanding as well. So people in different markets who may be a point of presence, yes. helping you get into that market. How do they make contact with you? What is the best way to be in contact with Damien? Right, here's a couple of web addresses. So our corporate website is peoplewave.co, peoplewave.co. Uh, on there, if you're interested in our software, you can sign up for the free Performance Wave software. They use it yourself, no problem at all. On there, you can also contact us, so it should have our contact information. If you're interested in what we've done on the ICO as a spark to Series A and or uh, SEO investment, we have a website called peoplewaveico.io. Uh, that will give you information about what we're doing with our blockchain solution and uh, what we're looking for on the investment side. And if you want to email me personally, you can either check me out on LinkedIn. I'm Damien Cummings or email me at damien at peoplewave.co. Excellent. We'll put all the details in the show notes. And Damien, I wish you all the best with Thank your you journey, much. your adventure that you're going and everybody that you attract as well, that team. It sounds like quite a tight team. And I'll be excited to see what you guys can produce. And uh, dare I say it, disrupt down the road. <laughs> but yes, I hope so we're too. on a mission here, right? Um, thanks everybody for watching the show and subscribing. If you're listening on SoundCloud, please go ahead and like us there. If you're watching on YouTube, then please subscribe to the show. And if you want to get the, the full in-depth interview, you can get it on YouTube with Damien. Also, we'll put the audio up on SoundCloud. You can get it on our website as well. Damien, thanks a lot. Come back on six, 12 months down the line. Love to. Love to get an update, see how the journey unfolds. Yeah, tell you a wonderful new, good news story at that point. But thank you very much. It's been Excellent. great. Excellent. Thank, thank you, you, Damien.